0: Today we begin a new section of the Psalms that goes from Psalm 25 to Psalm 34. The reason why we can tell it's meant to be seen as a section is because of the bookend Psalms of the section, Psalm 25 and Psalm 34. Uh, and, and these two Psalms resemble one another. Psalm 25 and Psalm 34 are both acrostic Psalms. Each verse Of each of these psalms begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order, and uh, both also end with a closing verse that breaks the acrostic pattern, and they're both about this theme of redemption. And so we see the similarities of Psalm 25, Psalm 34, and we understand, okay, these are bookends of a section of the Psalms. And so that's what we're beginning today. And without any further ado, let's read Psalm 25. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? In Psalm 25, the Holy Spirit says of David, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be shamed who are wantonly treacherous. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will He instruct in the way that He should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. When we think about God's salvation, usually what comes to mind is forgiveness of sins, We've sinned against God. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. If we trust in Jesus, he forgives us of our sins. Yes and amen, that is true. But we need more salvation than that. Because the impact of our sin goes deeper than that. The impact of sin on us goes further than just the penalty of sin. Apart from Christ, not only were we destined for a penalty, not only were we destined for God's wrath, apart from Christ, we walked and lived on a path of sin, a life of sin. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1-3 that we walked in trespasses, and sin. We followed the course, the way of this world. We followed the devil as our leader. We lived in the passions of our flesh. Uh, We need to understand that the salvation we need is more than just being saved from the penalty of sin. We need to be freed from a lifestyle of sin, a path of sin. And praise God, he gives that much grace and more. He gives more grace than just grace to forgive us of our sins. He also gives us grace to walk in newness of life. Uh, I, I loved Kara's testimony today and what she said. You know, yes, by all means, I'm excited to go to heaven. But God's grace, He's not waiting till we get to heaven to start showing grace to us. His blessings and salvation start now in Christ. In Christ, God gives us a new normal. And by his grace, he empowers us to walk in that new normal. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, that not only do we stand in the gospel, but we are also being saved by the gospel. When we trust in Christ, God saves us from the penalty of sin. But as we walk with Christ, God continues to save us from the power of, Of sin. And Psalm 25, as we turn our attention to this text for this morning, uh, is a prayer for God's grace, the kind of grace that I'm talking about. It's a prayer that is peppered with prayer for forgiveness of sin. That is certainly part of the grace that we need from God, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't even spend most of its time there. Ultimately, David prays for God's grace to lead him in the path that he should walk. David doesn't just want to be forgiven of his sins. He wants to be freed from the grasp of sin in his daily life. He wants to be freed to walk in a way that pleases God. And so I've titled the sermon this morning, Following the Path of a Merciful God. Following the Path of a Merciful God. If in your life you have ever found yourself wondering what is God's will for my life. If you've ever found yourself walking in a pathway that you know is ending in destruction, that you know is, is, is causing self-harm, that you know is not pleasing to God, and you say, I, I don't want my life to be like this. I want to be saved from that. I, I want to walk in a way that is, is flourishing before God, that is honoring God, that is the right path. This text is for you. This prayer is for you following the path of a merciful God. Let's dive into the opening verses of the psalm. And as we do, uh, then we'll see how David's prayer unfolds after that. Uh, David begins the psalm with an expression of trust in verses 1 and 2. Look at those verses with me. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame let not my enemies exult over me. David proclaims his faith in Yahweh. He entrusts his very soul to him. And he makes this prayer not to be put to shame. Well, what would it be to be put to shame? Well, it would be to be shown that the one he was trusting in is unreliable. He's trusting in him this whole time and then he doesn't come through for him. So David is praying when he says, God, in you I trust, let me not be put to shame. He's saying, God, don't let me down. God, come through, demonstrate to those who see my life that I am right to trust in you as Savior and Lord. And what would happen if David were to be put to shame? Well, his enemies would rejoice over his shame. As we'll see, his enemies are waiting to do him harm. They are waiting in the wings at any given moment to do him harm. And so they would rejoice over his shame if that's what he experienced. They would take pleasure in his downfall. And so that's what motivates David's prayer not to be put to shame. And he goes on in verse 3 to express his confidence that he won't be put to shame because of his faith in Yahweh. He says in verse 3, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. So he says none who wait for you shall be put to shame. To wait for the Lord is to trust him. To wait for the Lord is to trust that he will act in his time. To wait for the Lord is to choose not to take matters into your own hands, but to have a patient confidence that God will be faithful to do what he said he would do. David is confident. He trusts that no one who waits for the Lord will experience shame, that God will come through for him. David is confident he won't experience shame. The ones who will experience shame are those who he describes as wantonly treacherous. This expression is this idea of abandoning what is right for no real reason. It's someone who doesn't care about God's ways at all. And so in verse 3, David really describes two paths. A way of sin that leads to shame and a way of trust in Yahweh without shame. Seeing these two paths in verse 3 helps to bring into focus the picture of what David is asking for in verses 1 and 2, and what we see in the rest of the psalm. David is trusting Yahweh not to be put to shame, because on his own, he would be heading down a path that leads to shame. On his own, he would be giving himself to wanton treachery. He would be giving himself to sin that leads to shame. We'll see as this Psalm continues that David is deeply aware of his own sin. Behind everything David prays in the psalm is a broken heart over his sin against God. And it comes through throughout this psalm. You know, David's sin nature wants to lead him down the path of treachery. That path of treachery leads to shame. That shame leads to his enemies rejoicing over him. So David lifts his soul to Yahweh. He places his faith in Yahweh. He cries out to God. He throws himself on the mercy of God to forgive him of sins, yes, but more than that. He throws himself on the mercy of God to guide him on the right path as well. He throws himself on the mercy of God asking God's mercy to protect him from the shame That he fears. Well, this opening prayer sets up the rest of the psalm. In verses 4 through 14, we see that David prays for guidance by God's mercy. And in verses 15 through 22, David prays for protection by God's mercy. First, let's look in verses 4 through 14 at David's prayer for guidance. David's prayer for guidance. I see in these verses four components to David's prayer for guidance. And if we want to experience God's guidance in our life, David has given us an example to follow. We should follow David's example in these four areas. The first is this, know the truth of God. Know the truth of God. If we're to experience God's guidance, we have to first know the truth of God. Uh, David in verse, f- verses 4 and 5 first asks Yahweh to teach him his paths. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Uh, we see in these verses that the paths of Yahweh, the paths that he wants to be guided on, are God's truth. Uh, These are the paths that God has revealed in Scripture, that He has revealed in His Word. Uh, Psalm 119 verses 1 through 6 describes in greater detail this idea of the paths of Yahweh, the way that God would want to guide us in, being what He has revealed in His Word. Psalm 119 1 through 6 says this, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. commandments. David asked God to teach him his ways because he needs to know the paths of the Lord before he can walk in the paths of the Lord. Likewise, if we are to experience and receive God's guidance, we must learn his ways as revealed in Scripture. Think about an area of your life right now that you're needing guidance for. As you seek to walk in a path that honors God in that situation, what are you relying on to tell you the way to go? What are you relying on to determine how you ought to act, what you ought to say, what is wise or not wise in this situation? You may answer, well, you know, I I want God's will. But in that, are you relying on just what you've always believed? What you've always heard, what other people have always said, or are you digging into Scripture to see what does God really say? Paul, in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, prays this, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk In a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We cannot walk in a manner worthy of the Lord without knowing his will as it is revealed in his word. So if you're seeking God's guidance, dig into God's word. And remember, you don't have to do it alone. One of the great gifts that God has given us is the local church, the body of believers that get to speak the truth in love to one another. If you want to know what God's word says about the guidance that you need in any particular situation, and you're not really sure where to turn in God's Word, seek the help of a brother or sister in Christ. Seek the help of one of the pastors of our church. As a church, again, we exist to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And part of the way that we help one another follow Jesus is by opening up God's Word together and helping one another learn how to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Well, so before we leave verse 5, and and kind of to segue into the next section, I want you to notice something. David has prayed to be taught. He has prayed to know the ways of the Lord. And as he asks Yahweh to lead him in truth and teach him, why does David expect that God will do that for him? Look at verse 5 again. Lead me in your truth and teach me for You are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day long. The reason why David expects God to provide the guidance that he needs is because Yahweh is the God of his salvation. He is the one David is trusting in to save his soul. David considers God's leadership a part of his salvation, which is given by grace and received through faith. David does not deserve to be led by a righteous God on the right path. By faith, he trusts in God for guidance. And this leads naturally to the second component of David's example, which we should follow. If we are to receive God's guidance in our lives, not only do we need to know the truth of God, we also need to request the mercy of God. Request the mercy of God. We can see how David requests the mercy of God in verses six and seven. David says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So in these verses, in this prayer for mercy, you can hear David asks Yahweh to remember some things and not to remember some other things. He asks Yahweh to remember his mercy. Not as if God has forgotten his mercy. David is asking, rather, for God to act in mercy. Like he promised, he would act toward his covenant People. He asks God to show him kindness in his moment of need. He also asks Yahweh to remember his steadfast love. This is God's covenant keeping faithfulness. David asks God to act according to the promises that he's made to his people. Remember your mercy. Remember your steadfast love. But then also, David asks Yahweh not to remember his sins again not as if god is capable of forgetting but he's asking god not to treat him as he deserves based on his works he asks him to remember that he is one whom god has committed his covenant love to he asks god to remember him not because of david's goodness but because of yahweh's goodness He asks not to be treated uh, based on his sin. On his own, he would only be heading down a path of sin and shame, and that's what he deserves. And so David says, please do not remember my sins. Don't treat me based on what I deserve. Base your treatment of me not on my character and my good works. Treat me based on your goodness, your good works, your faithfulness, your mercy, your love. He asks Yahweh to remember him based on his own goodness, God's goodness. So as David is requesting God's guidance, what I want us to see is that he is requesting God's grace to guide him. If you are in Christ, I would just repeat again that God's grace toward you does not stop at forgiving you of your sins. Praise God for forgiveness, and praise God that he gives more grace. God's grace doesn't stop at saving you from death and giving you eternal life. God doesn't forgive us, give us a ticket to heaven, and then say, all right, now, you know, this life is basically just up to you to try and do good, be a good person, live for me, try hard. No. God gives Grace, the same mercy that forgives us of our sins is the mercy that we need to guide us in this life. Uh, Take your Bibles and turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and then notice this, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The same grace that saves us and forgives us of our sins also trains us in this present age. It guides us in this life. God gives grace not only to save us from the penalty of sin, but to train us to walk free from the power of sin. So if you are seeking God's guidance, request God's mercy, His grace. You are not alone. You are not by yourself to figure out how to live this life. God has grace for you in Christ to guide you in this present age. Ask God not to treat you as you deserve, but as he has promised in the gospel. And that leads us to the third component of David's example for us to follow. Humbly depend on God. Humbly depend on God. We need to know the truth of God, we need to request the mercy of God, and we need to humbly depend on God. You can turn back to Psalm 25. As David is asking Yahweh to mercifully guide him on the right path, he describes who Yahweh leads in verses 8 through 10. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the Humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Again, Yahweh instructs sinners in the way they should live, not because they are good, but because he is good. It's his grace. The good news of Psalm 25 is that being a sinner does not prevent you from receiving God's merciful guidance in your life. But there is something that will prevent you from experiencing God's guidance, and it's pride. David says it is the humble he leads and teaches. Why is that so important? because if we are to receive god's grace and we've said his guidance is a gift of his grace if we are to receive his grace first we have to admit that we need it before we can be forgiven we have to admit that we are sinners needing forgiveness before we can receive god's guidance we have to be humble enough to to admit to god i need you i need your guidance To be proud and to not admit our own sin, to not admit our own need, to just tell ourselves and to tell God, I have it all together. I can figure this out on my own. That is like a brick wall keeping you from God's grace and a brick wall that you build yourself, by the way. God's grace is freely available for all who would be humble enough to admit that they need it. You can... Walk a path of experiencing Yahweh's commitment to his people. You can walk a path that is marked by Yahweh showing faithfulness to you if you stay humbly dependent upon him and humbly dependent upon his truth. And so, again, in in humility, David addresses his sin against God in verse 11. He says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great. That's the kind of humble admission that prepares the way for us to receive the boundless grace of God. David asks God to pardon his great guilt. And notice he asks him to do that for the sake of his name, of Yahweh's name. He appeals to God's reputation. And for good reason. Yahweh himself has tied his name to being gracious toward sinners. He told Moses in Exodus thirty-four six and seven, "The Lord, the Lord Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness." Do you see those words in verse ten? All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Yahweh has tied his name to this. This is who he is. And so David says, I'm counting on you, Yahweh, to be who you said you are, to do what you said you would do. I am trusting that you will not treat me as I deserve, but to treat me as you said you treat all those who trust in you. He's asking for God's grace. In so doing, he expresses his humble dependence upon the grace of God. James 4.6 says he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The gracious guidance of God is not for those who think they have it all figured out. The proud will be opposed by God. The gracious guidance of God is for those who know their own sin, their own great guilt, for those who know how bad it goes for them when they rely on themselves, for those who instead humbly depend on God and his promises. For for those, there is grace. St. Augustine said this, For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second, and humility is the third. If we want to know and learn God's ways, humility, humble dependence is the path forward. If you are seeking God's guidance, pray for God to give you grace to cultivate humility In your heart. Don't rely on your own experience, your own common sense, your street smarts. Rely on a gracious God. Finally, enjoy the benefits of walking with God. When we learn the truth of God and we uh, call on God for His mercy and humbly depend on Him. Uh, we get to enjoy the benefits of walking with God. David describes the benefits of walking in the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, in uh, beginning in verse 12. He says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him, the one who fears the Lord, will he, the Lord, instruct in the way that he should choose fear, the the fear of the Lord. Uh, This does not mean to to be trembling, afraid of what God might do to me at any moment. Uh, To fear God is instead to live every moment in light of who God is as the holy God. It's to live every moment in light of God's holiness. And the first benefit of walking in the fear of Yahweh is God's instruction. That's what David says. The one who fears the Lord, the Lord will instruct in the way that he should choose. The The first benefit of walking in the fear of Yahweh is God's instruction. This is the heart of what David is praying for in these verses, to know the way that he should choose, to be instructed by Yahweh. And that pathway is a path of fearing the Lord, living every moment in light of his holiness. You might be familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says this. Trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That's the fear of the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. That's His instruction. Verse 7 Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. The first benefit of walking in the fear of the Lord is his instruction. Uh, The second benefit of walking in the fear of Yahweh is covenant blessings. In verse 13, we see this. His soul, that is the soul of the one who fears the Lord, his soul shall abide or remain in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. Oh, that promise of inheriting the land uh, as David describes it is calling back to the promise that God made to Abraham and his descendants about inheriting the promised land. One of the blessings of walking in the fear of the Lord is knowing that that Yahweh has promised that at the end of the journey, he gives all that he has promised to his people. When we walk the path paved by God's words, And empowered by God's grace, when we walk the path humbly dependent on God for leadership, we are walking a path that ends in eternal joy. Let me say that again. When we walk the path paved by God's words, empowered by God's grace, humbly dependent on God for leadership, we are walking in a path that ends in eternal joy. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3-5, to Blessed are the poor in spirit, humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Living and walking with the God who has made a covenant with us in Christ is walking a path that ends in covenant blessings. The third benefit of walking in the fear of Yahweh is covenant friendship. Not only are there eternal blessings and inheritance on the other side of the path of walking with the Lord, but all along the way we experience intimacy with God. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. God made us to know him and enjoy him and glorify him. He made us to walk with him. He he made us to walk every step of the way, considering all things in light of his holiness. He made us to flourish by acknowledging him in all of our ways that he might direct our paths. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, we get to enjoy intimacy with God, the intimacy we were made for. Jesus said in John 15, 13 to 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. We experience the joy of friendship with Jesus When we walk in his commandments. So that is David's prayer for guidance. It's the majority of this psalm. And if we want to follow David's example, we need to know the truth of God, request the mercy of God, humbly depend on God, and then ultimately we get to enjoy the benefits of walking with God. Well, this psalm ends with a a brief closing prayer. And it's David's prayer for protection in verses 15 through 22. Look at verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. David is placing his trust in Yahweh to deliver him from peril. And just as he asked for guidance based on God's grace so here he is requesting rescue from affliction based on God's grace. Look at verses 16 to 18. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David is experiencing affliction, and again, he asks God not to treat him as he deserves, but to be gracious to him. In fact, he asks God to forgive his sins again. He's asking for this deliverance from affliction by God's grace, and this helps us to see that the guidance that David is looking for in this psalm is not guidance when things are easy. David is desperate for God's gracious guidance because he is in trouble. He is desperate for God to show him the way to keep him on the right path because he is experiencing great trouble. He's suffering. He's distressed. He is, in the midst of this, also deeply aware of his own sin. In his own need for forgiveness. And in verse 19, David draws attention also to the enemies who hate him with violent hatred. He says, consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. His enemies want him dead. They're after him. And so, in verse 20, David asks again not to be put to shame in the eyes of these enemies. These enemies are waiting for the chance to shame David. They're waiting for the chance to declare victory. They're waiting for the chance to show that he's in the wrong. And in light of their crouching at the door and the affliction that David is experiencing, David cries out in verse 20, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Notice that David asks God for protection. But first and foremost, he's not asking for him to protect his physical body or his physical life. First and foremost, David says, guard my soul. He is asking God to keep him. To be a faithful refuge for his soul in the midst of affliction, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of opposition. He wants to fully rely on God in his soul, even as his enemies are watching him. And he trusts that if he relies on Yahweh, if Yahweh guards his soul, ultimately he will not be put to shame in the eyes of his enemies. He trusts that God will demonstrate his faithfulness as David humbly clings to him for refuge. David goes on in verse 21. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. We've seen multiple times already in the psalm, but it bears repeating that ultimately David's prayer is not that God would treat him based on his own goodness. Ultimately, his prayer is that God would treat David based on God's goodness. Uh, The basis, even in verse 21 here, the basis of David's prayer is not his integrity and uprightness. The basis of David's prayer here is, I wait for you, for I wait for you, he says. Because David trusts in Yahweh, waits for Yahweh, because he trusts in faith, he asks Yahweh to preserve him through integrity and uprightness. David is trusting God to keep him on the path of integrity, not to act toward him based on his integrity. David is trusting God to keep him on the pathway of integrity so that he would not stray to the path of sin that leads to shame, as we saw in verse 3. Well, David ends with a verse that, like I said, in the acrostic is kind of out. We've gone from A to Z, and he goes back to Q. Uh, it, it, It doesn't fit in the pattern. And it also doesn't fit with the pattern of what we've seen in the first 21 verses of David speaking individually. Look at verse 22. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. David ends the psalm not with a personal request like he's made in the first 21 verses, but with a request for his whole nation. And if you've been with us through the psalms, we've seen this kind of idea over and over and over that... Israel as a nation, their hope was all tied up in their one king. The king's deliverance was their deliverance. The king's victory was their victory. And likewise here, this psalm is not just about David's personal need for protection, but the nation's need for protection. He is asking God for grace for himself, that he might lead this whole nation in following the path of Yahweh by his grace, even as they experience trouble. And isn't this the example that our king has set for us? It is because Jesus prayed in the garden, not as I will, but you will, that we receive the grace of God that forgives our sins and that guides us even in the midst of affliction. You know, when we're suffering, we need God to guard our souls. When our troubles are enlarged, we are especially prone to abandoning the path of the Lord. We're prone to abandon the path of the Lord when we desire relief more than we desire to worship God. We're prone to abandoning the path of the Lord when we desire relief protection of our physical comfort more than the protection of our hearts. But because of the hope that we have in Christ, we can humbly depend on God to protect our hearts even through great suffering, enlarged troubles, and affliction. Turn with me one last place to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in In our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And catch this, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In this life, we will walk through affliction. But in Christ, we can actually rejoice in our sufferings because of how God is using our suffering to conform us more into the image of Christ our King. Ultimately, we have our hope as Christians set on the fact that at the end of the journey of this life, God is going to bring us safely home we will be glorified and perfected and experience the joy of God's presence forever. And we have the assurance that God will bring us home on that day because he has given us the Holy Spirit who is with us now. And so if we lift up our souls to this God, we can know we will never be put to shame. God will never let us down. In the end, He will come through. He will keep his word. He will keep his promise. And our hope in him will never put us to shame. God's grace toward you did not stop the day you first trusted in Christ. And it doesn't start the day that you go home to be with the Lord. God's grace is for you today. Yes, he forgives our sins but there's so much more. He guides us by his grace. He protects our souls by his grace. We need Jesus, but we need him for more than just a status. We need Jesus for more than just a clean slate. We need Jesus every day. We need Jesus to lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We need Jesus to walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. We need his goodness and mercy to chase after us every day of our life. And by God's grace, that's exactly the shepherd we have to guide us in Jesus Christ. So may we all grow in humble dependence upon Jesus. May we depend on him for every step of his gracious guidance. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your boundless grace in Christ. For the grace that saves us and the grace that trains us. The grace that preserves us and causes us to rejoice even in suffering. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to lead us to depend more on your grace for guidance in every area of life, even as we walk through suffering and affliction. Lord, I pray that we would depend on you, lean on you, humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And that we would lift our souls to you, knowing that you are a trustworthy God. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.